Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, queer talkers. The first and only global award ceremony celebrating LGBTQ plus video gaming is back. The Gaming Awards, presented by Twitch, returns for its second year this April, and for the first time ever, they're coming into real life, with the show being held at the iconic Troxy Theatre in East London. Honestly, it's going to be great. They, of course, have awards which celebrate LGBT plus contributions and representation in the gaming industry. And this year, they've introduced awards for comic books and esports. I'm going to nerdgasm so hard when I'm there on April 25th. Ooh. The awards feature an exclusive in-person nerdy drag pre-show featuring five iconic artists from the drag collective Sybil's House. There's a limited number of general admission ticket sales available and 20% of all ticket sales go to the It Gets Better project. And if you want to join us there, check out GamingAwards.com or search at GamingMag on all socials. Hello and welcome back to Queer Talk, a queer podcast that brings you a regular dose of positive news stories and fabulous interviews. Hi! Throughout the year, Spencer and I will be recording specific good news episodes where we'll be joined by a different guest each time to discuss some recent positive LGBTQ plus news articles and dive deeper into topics of interest. Today we're joined by the one and only Phil Samba. Welcome, Phil. Hi. I'm finally on it. It's good to finally have you here. About time. The last time I properly interacted with Phil that wasn't on Twitter, I was very, I wasn't very young, but I was younger and I was a drunk mess at the Gay Times Honours, which is also where me and Muff scene kind of connected for the first time. It was that bloody night. I didn't know that night. was the first time we met, because well, the first time you guys like properly connected. If we were friends long before that, just with how comfortable you were getting that drunk. <laughs> that I wasn't comfortable, which is why I was that drunk. Also, Mufsin wore this gorgeous yellow suede blazer and he and i was like as long as i can see the yellow blazer he only goes and takes it off doesn't he to go because <laughs> he was too was hot the arms out. i thought you'd gone so i was like uh, right i, I, I have fine. a great photo of phil and alex leon uh, from that day anyway we're not here today to discuss me being a drunk um phil you have joined us on Queer Talk. We're here to discuss you and to celebrate you, not me, um, which I'm totally okay with. Are you? Are you? I'm not okay with it, but it's what we do here, so it's totally fine. We'll, we'll roll with that for now. You are a health promotion specialist, a researcher, a social activist and writer with over several years of experience working in public health. You're the strategic lead for Prepster, a charitable initiative which works to promote awareness of the HIV drug yep. PrEP, and especially PrEP for queer men of colour. Um, and you're also <laughs> a wonderful, wonderful person, which we discovered when you looked after me when I was being drunk on that night that we're not going to discuss anymore. Before you move, is that a Spider-Man poster on your wardrobe? Um, yes, I'm a big, big fan. Wait, who is your favourite Spider-Man? It's, it's a tough one. It's a tough one because uh, is it? 
Well, not really. I think everyone, like, you know, you know, like, universally, everyone says Tobey Maguire because he's, like, the blueprint. He set the, the kind of tone for what, like, superhero films were supposed to be. And yeah. also, like, he, I felt like his version of Peter Parker was the closest to the comics. Whereas um, um, Tom Holland's version is more of, like, it is closer to the cartoons and closer to, like, the ultimate Spider-Man um, kind of version. Yeah. So it makes sense. So are we are we just skipping Andrew Garfield? We are definitely skipping Andrew Garfield. Even Andrew Garfield knows that he's not the best one. Really? Yeah. I I think Andrew Garfield is my favorite. He he wasn't. I like, think it's like we watched him recently, and it was a struggle to get through the Amazing Spider-Man two for several reasons. Like I don't want to get into it because I could do a whole podcast episode on why those <laughs> Andrew Garfield. I, I didn't really like some of the way they. Huh? They had characters like I think they changed Harry Osborn a lot in those films. So um, I think there's a lot of issues with like a lot of the motivations for the the um, the villains don't make sense. Like Harry was mad because he didn't get yeah. Peter's blood, but then he got it anyway. So why why are you mad? Like it doesn't actually make sense to kill someone for that. <laughs> and then um, Phil, please start could, a YouTube channel. This, this and then um, Electro, what was Electro's beef? I would like, why was Electro actually bad when you think about it? He just went from, like, geeky person to powers and then suddenly went exactly. back. Exactly. So there was no, there was no, like, when, when you think about the, um, if you think about, you've, you've got me started, I'm so sorry, but if you think about the original trilogy, like, in the first one, Green Goblin was, like, there, there was high stakes because he had to prove something to get more funding for his, for his organization, for his company. Um, in the second one, Doc Ock was trying to create something um, to create energy, to recreate the, the sun. So it made sense. Um, we don't want to talk about Spider-Man 3 because they forced Venom to be in that and it was just, that's where it went left. But like, it just didn't make sense, you know? Today, we have some positive news stories and we also have Phil here. I've just introduced you for the third time. So if people didn't know you were here, they definitely know now. Uh, I think I'm just going to kick straight off, you know, the best goes first and all that. So I found a story on Pink News that is titled Germany gives proudly queer MP a crucial government role defending LGBT plus rights and fighting hate. And when I first read this headline, I was like, hold on, they've just found a queer who's excited about being queer. And they're like, right, you save the queers. Like this is your your sole task is to to save the queers. And and I was kind of like, this happens so often in corporate jobs and places where like they find you know mostly you've experienced this and i'm sure many of our listeners have too where people they find you know the small group of queers or the only queer at the company um and i'm sure it happens with other minority groups too and they're like oh you should start a group you should do something like or like you know what should we do for pride you're queer like figure it out um <clears throat> so i kind of got that vibe from this then i actually opened the article because you know you shouldn't just read headlines and, and make judgments which is what I do all the time. Um, and Sven Lehmann, which might be how you pronounce his name or might not be, um, basically is a, a super good advocate for the community. He asserted on his uh, appointment of this role that everyone should be able to live freely, safely and with equal rights. And um, he mentioned that Germany has... Um, and needs a broad strategy to combat hatred directed at these groups because it's not enough to just condone 
that behavior you have to have you have to take action and put things in place put measures in place to support those you know minority groups um so he is actually going to work with different um government ministries on different policy projects to ensure that the lgbt plus community in particular um, are looked after as well as leading on the national action plan um, I believe from this article, they want they want to be one of the leaders in the EU for this for these kind of um, rights and taking action. But now we're not in the EU. Like, I, how does this affect? Like, I don't think this places any pressure on the UK, or maybe it does. It depends if we're looking to Germany for this kind of. Um... I don't think it will put any pressure on the UK. I mean, I think it's great that they've got a, rep- a representative, um, like an LGBT commissioner in Germany, they're kind of working cross-government um, organisations to kind of push this agenda. It's, it's a big thing for the, for Germany in comparison, like, comparison to the UK, because in the UK we don't even have an LGBT advisory board anymore because of... Yeah, we've just got Liz Truss. Yeah, because of our <laughs> equalities minister who doesn't want an LGBT advisory board now. But like, can you compare Germany and what they're doing in the UK? Like, We're actually going backwards, I think, and Germany's going forwards. Yeah, which is a little bit worrying. Um, one of the things... Um, included in this plan is um, he really wants to um, include extensive reforms around the laws regarding trans people um, in declaring and determining their own gender because we we were just discussing this before the call currently they have to um, live as an openly trans person for three years then they have to stand in front of a court and be judged and assessed and then they also have to be assessed by a medical professional just to have their gender changed on legal documentation and that to me is is not only barbaric but it's also a bit bit archaic i know that across you know we're seeing articles come out more and more across across the world where um, certain places are starting to allow individuals to put x on their passports and to change their gender um, legally and stuff and i think hopefully people will follow suit different countries will follow suit but it's it's crazy that that is the current practice i mean to wait three years is a long time just to change your gender and then imagine if you'd got to those three years and then you had someone like your spouse, I guess, did a spousal veto, and he had to wait another three years. So, like, it's, it's also like you have to consider the impact that that has on um, trans people's lives. And like, although there's, I, I don't know what it's like in Germany, but here there's a massive lack of research on trans people's mental health. Yeah. Um. Although we know colloquially and from from uh, what a lot of people have said, there aren't a lot of specifically targeted services that are available for them. So, um, if you think about the impact that that can have on someone's mental health, where they they're unable to continue their life because of that, it's it's really ridiculous. I remember watching Freddie McConnell's documentary last year and just hearing about how people how trans people are on waiting lists for six seven years, uh, and it's only when you hear people talk about their story in there how it's their mental health that you, you can kind of really gauge it. The same um, here, and like unfortunately the pandemic is like elongated a lot of the um, the waiting list that we have for trans people when it comes to um, like surgery that they, they need. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's really worrying because, you know, we're going to end up doing more damage to our community, setting up, you know, being set further back and having to just fight even harder post-pandemic life um, in order to get these, these basic things. So I think, you know, I don't think you're wrong, Mufsin, when you say sometimes it feels like we're definitely going backwards. But the positive silver lining to this story is that Germany are going to show us how it's done. And Sven... 
is going to lead the way. And we're very excited. Your mate, your mate Sven. My mate Sven. It's like Sven, but with a V instead of a P. There you go. We're practically uh, related. <laughs> but yeah, hopefully they're going to lead the way. And I hope that the UK are watching and follow suit and have conversations with Germany so that we can, um, you know, do the same and look after our queer community. I've seen. What's your story? So my story uh, this week, <laughs> it, it is good news. It is good it's, news. It's great is it? news. It's technically good news and it's LGBT. I was on brief. It was a pink news article and it's also covered by a few other news outlets. Dolphins have functional clitorises that they use in lesbian sex, according to, and the pink news article says this, according to science. If it's according to science, it's got to be true. <laughs> so scientists have discovered that dolphins have clitorises similar to humans which they make use of in creative lesbian sex. And I know you're both asking me, what is creative lesbian sex, Mufsoon? So creative lesbian sex for dolphins is when the females rub each other's clitorises with their snouts and their flippers really often. This is fantastic. Yeah. So it's not like they just do it every now and again. Like, dolphins are constantly having sex, and they are constantly having same-sex sex as well. And dolphins are intelligent too. They are intelligent. Some are actually more intelligent than you, Spencer. Most, I would imagine. So, on close examination of 11 clitorises from common <laughs> bottle-nosed dolphins suggests that females experience pleasure during frequent sexual activity. So, like, I think the thing here is, we already knew that dolphins are the other animals other than humans who have sexual pleasure. But I think what was um, what we haven't known before is that the females experience pleasure. I think it's always, previous research has always been kind of male-focused, because I think there was this kind of misconception that it's just easier to to kind of measure something that's an outie rather than an innie. <laughs> Wait, so, did misogyny exist in dolphins too? No. Uh, <laughs> no, so, so if, if you think about um, again, the, the, the field of research, maybe in the past there's more male researchers and now there are more female researchers. It's, it all says this in the, in the article. And then there's been someone, someone clearly has just said, oh, maybe let's just have a closer inspection on the female dolphins. Um, and they found that female dolphins do actually have clitorises, which they use recreationally to experience pleasure. So there, that's kind of like, it's been on my mind this week. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say. Like, I know that, I mean, it, it's science, so I'm impressed. Um, and I'm really glad that dolphin kind are being quite progressive. Um, and I'm really, I, I, it baffles me that we find out these things. I don't know who's sat watching dolphins flick each other's clitorises, but like, you know, what a job. I didn't see, I have not seen that on LinkedIn, but I wish I did. And did you know that um, in this article, they were also saying the human clitoris wasn't even fully understood until the 1990s? Oh my God. Isn't that weird? This is how research and science and like any field can be skewed by men. I'm, I'm not surprised that, um, you know, when it comes to female sexuality, that like there was a lack in, in research or understanding. Consider, and um, you said earlier that there's misogyny within, um, within the, the animal kingdom, but it's not necessarily that. It's there's misogyny within research. Well, that was the educated response that you were looking for, I've seen, as opposed to my response. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God we've got a professional <laughs> on the on the recording today. <laughs> but so that's my good news story. Thank you, Mafsi. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Now, Phil, you have decided to switch things up a little bit, and we're actually excited to do so. Um, as well as having discussions around positive news stories, we want to discuss important topics too and make sure that, you know, all kind of voices and um, people are heard. So tell us what you want to discuss today. Today I want to talk about ADHD. I have not really spoken about this besides on my social media, but um, I was recently diagnosed with ADHD in September, um, which was also the same month I started uh, medication for it. And I feel like it can be overlooked, it also can be really misunderstood. So that's why I wanted to talk about it today. Yeah, so ADHD is Attention Deficit Hyperactive Disorder. And am I correct in saying that ADHD is different to ADD? The thing is, um, I think nowadays um, ADD is actually a part of ADHD. So it would be, it'd be a form of ADHD. Basically, the language and um, the terminology around it has been changed mm -hmm. to kind of reflect it being part of one condition rather than it being a separate condition. So what is interesting is there's like, like kind of three different types. So there'd be the inattentive type, which is uh, for people that are maybe traditionally like forgetful or um, they may seem like they're, they're paying attention or they find it hard to focus, that sort of thing. Um, the hyperactivity and the impulsiv impulsivity come, kind of come as one where people may ex exhibit like they might not be able to like sit still. They might be like very fidgety or not be able to channel their, their kind of energy as well as be quite impulsive or um, speak out of turn or act out of turn, blurt out responses, that sort of thing. And then you can get the combination of the two, which is the most common, which is the mixed type ADHD, which is what I have. And I've seen it on your Twitter and your social media. You've spoken about how difficult it is to get diagnosis for ADHD. And then I don't think this is specific to the UK, actually, but in the UK, it takes a few years to get diagnosis and then to get medicine for it um, and in the meantime you're kind of just suffering without any without any help has that kind of been your experience and how has like coming on to medication helped um, am i allowed to swear absolutely okay it's a fucking nightmare it was an absolute <laughs> fucking nightmare trying to be seen because there's like i saw a tweet that's like the, <laughs> the red it was something along the lines of, I'm going to paraphrase it, but it was along the lines of whoever decided how you get assessed for ADHD must have looked up the specific symptoms of ADHD and then um, like use those symptoms in order to make it as difficult as possible. And it was just so specific and spot on. I feel like a lot of people that are not diagnosed as um, children and that um, are diagnosed with adult ADHD as they get older... It, it can sometimes get to a point in which it's like, I, I literally cannot 
go on like this any longer. So to tell people that they'll have to wait two years to get an assessment, and that's not even to like get the assessment and start the meds, it's just to get the assessment, to see if you have it when... I think a lot of people, when they feel like they do have it, like they see the symptoms, and I'm not saying that everyone should diagnose themselves, but as soon as I read the symptoms for it, because I had suspected it a couple of times over the years, but I don't think it was ever as bad as it got last year, towards the end of last year. I looked up the symptoms. I think I had every single thing for adult ADHD on the NHS website, and I was like, I definitely have this. There's no doubt in my mind. Family and friends were all like, what if um, you don't get diagnosed, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, there's no way. Like, I know I have this. Like, I know how it affects me on a day-to-day basis. Like, you can't tell me about how my brain works. But the thing is, it's either you try to go through your GP, which will take up to two years. There's a referral scheme. Um, I, f- I forgot the name of it. It's called, there's a referral scheme that you can access in which um, you may be able to get seen this year. It's a psychiatry UK. Yeah, Psychiatry UK. And then um, the referral scheme, it, it just makes it easier. But I think, think they can see you as, and it sounds me ridiculous me saying this, but as early as October, which is actually kind of somewhat decent considering how difficult it is to get uh, an assessment. That's months away. Yep. But it, it's, it's, honestly, if you, if you want to do it for free, it's the best. Yeah, it's better than two years. I was forced to go privately because like, it, just, it was literally at a point where I, I had to. Like I, I got some financial support to be able to do that, but if I, yeah, um, not everyone is as lucky as me and would be able to do that. I had to go private. I, I've paid a lot of money already. I actually bought some meds this morning, and hopefully I can move that onto the NHS very soon because it's it's like there's a whole process of the initial uh, assessment, the follow-up um, appointments, um, the medication, the prescriptions they have to write, buying the prescriptions themselves. Like it's a whole thing so it's 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 a nightmare and that's exactly the kind of labyrinth and person suffering from adhd does not want to go through no just to prove you have adhd there's this thing called the adhd tat so um it's for people like traditionally people that um that have adhd are terrible we're usually pretty shit with money because like we there's impulse bias or like late fees or we'll sign up to free trials and forget to cancel them that that kind of thing so we tend to a lot of the time make less money than people that um, don't have adhd but end up having to spend more so for us to have to pay for um you know to pay for a service and the system and medication and all these things to help us for something that is not a fault and that is a medical condition, it's, it's, it's tough. Yeah, it sounds super tough. Were you able to, obviously through social media, you have um, a pretty good following anyway because of the work you do in the community and the type of person that you are, but were you able to find support in other people? Were you able to kind of get uh, support from the community? Interestingly enough, I think um, it's super important to, uh, if you if you do eventually start medication i think it's really important to talk to people who actually take the medication um i was talking to someone that i know who has adhd they were really helpful because he said something which was like the psychiatrist can say this is going to happen or you might feel this or but they don't actually have that direct experience of taking the medication themselves so they can only talk from a like kind of not not a hypothetical but like they they can talk from a certain standpoint where if you're talking to someone that it knows exactly what it's like, then it's it's a lot easier and it's a lot better to, I guess, to communicate with someone like that. I was doing a bit of research before this episode and a few statistics which kind of stood out to me was worldwide prevalence of adult ADHD is estimated to be 2.8%. But that's just, that's just adults. 
It's because um, I think it's quite sad because like it can. I mean, I'm I'm 32 in March, and like I think it can go. It can e- pretty easily go unmissed. Like I don't know how I got through my whole primary school, secondary school, like everything without anyone ever thinking it. But then, like in hindsight, I every single school report I ever had my whole life said the exact same thing, which is Phil is really smart. But um, he he's very easily distracted, or he talks a lot in class, and then I'd get in trouble, and I'd come home because I wasn't paying attention. But I couldn't pay attention because I had a short attention span. Sure, but you you were punished, and kind of you felt you felt bad about that, and mm. that's that's unfair, especially from teachers' point of view. They they need educating on this. I think this kind of timeline and narrative reminded me of of the transitioning um, timeline and narrative in in that there's wait times Mm. and stuff. I I hate to compare these things, but the same kind of process. And what I always wonder is like, what is happening in between from you needing that support to you getting that support? What's happening in between that keeps keeps people going, keeps people feeling supported and kind of gives them hope that it's gonna get better? Because the fact that you just said you've gone through your entire education, up until the age of 32 and only now have has it been kind of dealt with and that's only because you went private otherwise you'd still be waiting uh, you know where where is that education and awareness in a more mainstream kind of setting for people to support you along yeah, the way yeah but I, I kind of understand it because um i think a lot of the time when it is picked up it's also picked up from a hyperactivity point of view and not an inattentive one so um mm-hmm. although i can be impulsive I think I learned, I don't know how or what happened in my childhood or what the, the traumatic event was, but I learned from a young age to suppress my hyperactivity. And I, I, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of weeks is that I don't think even some of my closest friends and family actually have seen me at my most hyper, to be honest. I think they can see when I get really excited and loud and stuff like that. I think the only, the only time it actually is really evident is when I'm completely when i'm really drunk i think that's when it's like you'll truly see how i can be hyper but other than that i think i i i learned to suppress it and then i i think i also used my hyperactivity to mask my queerness as well which i found interesting like i, I always used i was always hyper yeah. and maybe very effeminate and then learned to suppress that as well so I think that's kind of how it kind of went on mist in which i just remember that like it, it was more the inattentive stuff in school and like the hyperactivity, I was it was kept to myself, so I can see why it went on this. With queer people kind of code switching and like editing yourself around people to act straighter, whatever straighter is. If we're suppressing parts of parts of our personality around people as we grow up, then you're also going to be suppressing hyperactivity as an ADHD um, person. Is it ADHD person, person living with ADHD. I've I've seen ADHDers, and I don't know about that one. And then also the other thing is that like I was taught like really I, I'm I'm like ten thousand percent sure my mom has it but no one in my family wants to have this conversation. I, my mom taught me like really unhealthy coping mechanisms of how to basically distract myself when I like it from like pain and stuff like that. And I think I, it's just the same tools that she uses to cope or whatever. And I think I also use that as a way to like hide it or to mask it or to to move away from it. Like um. Like I grew up like with lots of video games. With I grew up in front of a TV, um, which I think is partially what. But then also you have things like hyperfocus with ADHD. So it's not that our um, our focus is um, bad. It's just irregular. So I can spend hours and hours on my phone, 
But if I had to write an article, I would struggle, for example, like if I was unmedicated. But like I could like so I learned to to distract myself yeah. by either playing video games or um, watching TV or watching films or being out or being social or like just not directly addressing certain things. I see, and this is why you know every detail of the Spider Man movies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it all makes sense now. And this is why Phil Samba never misses a tweet. <laughs> You have a really bad short-term memory of ADHD, but for some weird reason, my I can dig up tweets from like 2012 and remember exactly <laughs> where I tweet. It's so, it's so strange. Some would say that's a superpower, but honestly, the trouble I see you get people in on Twitter. <laughs> I've got, I've got two actually. Um, like the other one is like I can tell when it's raining like slightly earlier than everyone else. I don't know. It's giving very like Karen from Mean Girls energy, but like I swear to God, <laughs> that'll come in really handy for your LGBTQ activism. <laughs> Just before a protest. It's going to rain everyone. Bring your coats. <laughs> In about two minutes. Right. Thank you, Phil, for sharing your journey with ADHD. That's, I think sharing your story about your diagnosis and also the experiences with ADHD is going to help listeners and other people. I hope so. That is all we have time for today. A gorgeous roundup of uh, Germany, dolphin clitorises, and some insight into some of the difficulties people face surrounding ADHD. Uh, so Phil, how can our listeners best follow you and keep up to date with your antics? You can find me on Idiosyncratic XL on Twitter and Instagram. And I guess you can also find um, Prepster at facebook.com forward slash prepster.info on Twitter and Instagram at um, Team Prepster. Gorgeous. Yeah, make sure you check out all of the work that Prepster are doing and do not forget to let us know that you have listened to the show on social media. We are on Instagram at queer underscore talk and on Twitter, we are queer talk underscore. Bye. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.